Well, I want to welcome everybody who's watching online or listening to the podcast. We're thrilled to have you with us, and I am really excited about this series. I want to start by explaining a couple things, uh, because depending on what stage of life you're in, uh, you, you may be wondering, well, what am I going to get out of this? And I'm not sure I even you know, want to engage with this. So let me just explain a couple things. I want to explain who this is for, but first I want to explain why I want to do this series and why I'm so ex- excited about it. In my line of work, as you might imagine, with as many people as we have in different stages of life, especially um, not just married but single as well, uh, I hear a whole lot of stories. And through all the stories that I hear, I'll hear people come and they'll tell me, you know, here's what I'm about to do or here's the decision I just made or here's where I am. And, I, you know, I don't know why they always share this stuff with me, but people just walk up and start telling me their story. So uh, I, I don't know. I guess it's a, I don't know. But anyway, that, that happens to me in all kinds of different places. And what I keep finding myself doing is I would go home and I would be telling Jen, my wife, about it. And I, I would start saying to her, I just notice I did this over and over again. I would start saying to her, um, don't they know and haven't they realized and don't they, don't they get it that if they do that, they just made that decision and they're going to regret that later? Don't they realize that because they just did that, this is going to happen down the road? Don't they understand and, you know, they're going to they're wish they could go back and undo that? And, you know, I just I started finding myself, you know, going home telling these stories and just getting more and more frustrated. Not frustrated at people, frustrated for people because I realized, oh, my gosh, you know, it's, this is not going to turn out well. And then I will watch these stories unfold and play out. And sure enough, you know, they were, I was right. Sure enough, I was right that the things I thought were going to happen turned out to happen. And listen, I, I want you to understand, it's not because I'm so smart. I'm not that smart. I'll tell you why I was able, you know, why I find myself predicting these things time and time again. It's very simple because this idea is true. Direction, not intention, determines destination. In other words, the decisions, it's true for any arena of life, but particularly relationships, the decisions that you make relationally, wherever you are in your relational world, the decisions you make, shape and determine the direction you go relationally. And it is direction, not intention. It is direction and not your best hopes, wishes, and desires that determine your destination. In other words, if you get on 24 headed to Nashville, it doesn't matter how badly you want to go to St. Louis, you're not going to get there. It is your direction and not your intention that determines your destination. That's true for you financially. That is true for you in terms of your career or educationally. And it is true for you relationally every single time. And so what I decided to do is I thought, you know what, I want to do a series where I just talk about this and I talk about the predictable destinations that all of us will end up in relationally based on the choices or the decisions that we make. I want to talk about the stuff that you would think is common sense and seems like common sense, but it's not really common sense to people. And I don't mean to be offensive because it's not, you know, you don't, you don't miss it because you're not smart. You miss it, and I miss it. I'm the same way. We miss it because relationships, unlike any other arena of life, or more so than any other arena of life, relationships are never intellectually driven, are they? Relationships are never intellectually driven. They're always emotionally driven. And emotions cloud judgment, and emotions cause you to miss some things that are common sense and to miss some things that are obvious. Emotions cause you to miss the fact that that decision always leads to the same outcome, to the very same predictable destination. So I thought, you know what, let's take a few weeks and let's talk about it. Now, this series is designed really where everybody gets a little something out of it. Let me talk to all of you who are married for just a minute, and then I'll talk to those of you who aren't. Those of you who are married, you may be thinking, okay, this, this is not for me. Like, I get four weeks here just to kind of chill. No, 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 no. Listen, here's the thing I know about you if you're married. Matter of fact, we just did a survey last year of all of you who are parents, and one of the questions we ask you is, what the, what's the number one thing we could do to come alongside you and help you? What would you most like? What do you most need? And the number one desire or wish that parents in our church have is to 
have a stronger marriage. They said, if you could come alongside us and do whatever you could do to help us have a better marriage, we would love that. So I know you want your marriage to grow, and I'm thrilled with that because the very best gift that you can give your kid is a strong marriage. It's better than anything else that you can do. So I, I'm thrilled by that. And so one of the reasons I'm doing this series is because we wanted to talk to all of you who are married, and we wanted to help you connect some dots that maybe are creating some issues for you and you didn't realize that these things were all connected, and maybe you'll have some aha moments. And even though I'm going to address singles throughout the series primarily, I don't think I have to take what we're talking about and show you as a married adult how it fits into your relationship because it's going to be obvious to you. As a matter of fact, if you're married, you're probably going to get more out of this series than the single adults for the very simple reason that, have you noticed, adults, we always learn on a need-to-know basis, don't we? So if you're not married, I'm going to have to convince you that something you don't need to know right now, you actually need to know for later. But those of you who are married, you're going to be listening to me go through this and go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And I, I, you know, I won't even have to convince you. You'll, you're living it, okay? We all live it. So, so you will get that. But We've got some bonus content for those of you who are married. This is particularly for all of you men because we struggle with this sometimes. So here's what we've done. We have created for you four dates with you and your wife that are completely planned out for you. And all you have to do is go to this series, lovesexdatingseries.com. You can download these dates, do what it says, and win big, gentlemen. You can thank me later, okay? So that's for you married folks. Make sure, wives, you'll have to make sure he downloads it. I understand that. But make sure, make sure you get those, and you can spend the next four weeks as we go through this series, you know, four months, however long it takes you to get on four dates. You can spend the next few weeks going through those and doing those and having some conversations about this content because it's going to land with you. You're going to figure out how this applies. You do not need my help for that. I want to spend the next few weeks, though, as we're talking about these principles that apply to everybody, but I want to specifically address... All of you who are not married, and this is a big caveat, so listen. All of you who are not married, but you view dating as a tool or a path to getting married. All of you who are not married, but you hope to be married one day. All of you who are not married, and you're scared to be married, and it seems like marriage just messes everything up, but secretly, you don't want to admit this to your friends, but secretly, you kind of hope still that the right person comes along, and you get married, and you still have that dream. All of you who maybe you've been divorced and now you're in the dating scene, scene again, and oh my gosh, how frustrating is that and wild is that? So you're trying to navigate it and figure it all out. Maybe some of you who are living together and at least one of you hopes to get married eventually. I want to talk to all of you, to all of you who are in the middle of the dating scene and you are so frustrated by what love, sex, and dating looks like in our culture today. You're so frustrated by the fact that, you know, it's, it's just, it seems so superficial. It's like, okay, just swipe left or right, and you're like, what, what in the world? But, you know, everybody uses Tinder now. It's like, so you're like, it's so superficial. Like, there's got to be a better way, but it's just how everybody does it. So you're trying to navigate through all that, or maybe you're frustrated because things are so noncommittal now. I mean, it is like, you just can't figure out where you are in the relationship. Are we just talking? Are we talking and hanging out? Are we, does that mean we're dating? Does it not mean we're dating? Does this mean we're exclusively dating? Well, that means I want to exclusively date, but I don't know if they do. You know, it's like, it can get so confusing and I, where you are in the stage. And if, if you're in the middle of any of that and you're frustrated or you've been in a relationship for a long time and the other person, he is not popping the question as fast as you want him to and you're like, what in the world? You know, if you're in the middle of any of that, this series is going to be so, so helpful for you. Now, real quickly, let me tell you who this series, who's not, just to be honest, who's not going to like this series, who's going to get ticked with me and probably hate this series, is those of you who are not married, but you don't view dating as a path to marriage. You just view dating as a really fun game. It's a, you're, you're playing your own version of Bachelor or Bachelorette. If you're in the middle of that, you're not going to enjoy this series a whole lot. 
But here's the thing you got to understand. You should, and you're not going to believe me, but I'm going to tell you anyway. You should pull out your phone, or you should, you know, however you do this, you should take really good notes during this series, and you can dismiss everything I say as irrelevant, and I don't know what I'm talking about. But you should take notes on it anyway, because there is going to come a day when your preferred approach to dating is going to end in a train wreck. And if you don't believe me, I will simply ask you this. Isn't that how every season of The Bachelor and Bachelorette ends? In a train wreck, right? That's why everybody watches it, because we love to watch train wrecks. So eventually, you're taking the approach that's going to end in a train wreck, and when it does, you're going to hit rock bottom eventually, and you're going to think, I don't even remember that guy's name, but there was a guy at a church. I can't even remember what he was, but he said this, and you're going to pull this out and go, oh my gosh, he predicted my future. And again, not because I'm smart, because direction, not intention, determines destination. So with that being said, Let's jump in. All of us, no matter what stage or season of life we're at, eventually we all come to understand this one simple idea, that the present becomes our past but follows us into our future. Isn't this true for every single arena of life? It's true financially, it's true educationally, it's true vocationally, it's true when it comes to friendships, and it's true when it comes to relationships. The, pa- the present, what we're doing today, eventually becomes our past, But, and this is the part that surprises us, it follows us into our future. Our past always shows up in our future, and it shows up at the most inopportune times. And we're always surprised when it happens. We always wonder, wait a minute, how in the world did that happen? And I didn't, I thought I was beyond that, and I didn't think that was going to work out. But it does. Now, here's why this is important when it comes to relationships. And married people already understand this because they are living it, okay? But here's why this is important. This explains a lot of the marriage problems that you see. See, as single adults, and I get this, I understand, you have grown up in a world where marriage doesn't work, it feels like to you, marriage doesn't work as often as it works. And I'm not saying everybody you know gets divorced, but the marriages you've seen, there are at least as many of them that don't seem very happy or don't seem very healthy as ones that are. Maybe all you've seen are models of, you know, it doesn't work very well. And so you have decided, and I I get this, you have decided Marriage has got to be the problem. Like, I watch these people, I watch my friends, and they seem so in love, and everything seems to be great, and then they get married, and then all of a sudden they have problems, and then it's not so great anymore. Marriage had to be the problem. No, no, no. Marriage is not the problem. What the problem is, two people with problems got together and got married, and they didn't realize this was true. Now, this is going to be really, really helpful for you. The reason so many married people have problems is because married people get married holding on to a couple very, very dangerous assumptions. These assumptions, I'm telling you, the majority of us who are married went into marriage thinking these two ideas were true, and they simply aren't, and they will derail or train wreck any marriage relationship. The first assumption is this, that when we say I do, then I get a fresh start with you. Hey, hey, when we say I do, then everything gets wiped clean and we start over. Married people all tend to believe this. They believe, okay, I got my issues and I've got my past, and she's or he's got her issues or his issues and they've got their past. But when we both walk down this aisle and we stand in front of the preacher and we go through the deal and we both say I do, then we walk out and everything is clean. It's like we believe that, you know, Tinkerbell shows up with magic marriage pixie dust and, you know, sprinkles it and our past just disappears and it's a fresh start and, oh my gosh, life's going to be so wonderful. It's just going to be a fairy tale from here on out. That is not in any way how it works. Now, this is not very romantic, but let me explain to you what happens at every single wedding you go to, okay? And next time, this is going to ruin weddings for you. I'm sorry, ladies. But next time you go to a wedding, just envision this because this is what happens. At every single wedding, 
when he walks down the aisle or across the stage, and when she walks down the aisle, they walk in carrying a huge invisible suitcase full of their past baggage. They do. Every time. Every time. And nobody pays attention to it because the flowers are so pretty and the dress is so beautiful and the lights are just right and, oh, it's so romantic. But they're dragging along some, there's some good stuff in here, but by and large, it's, there's a lot of stinky baggage in this suitcase. There's a lot of really dirty laundry in the suitcase that they drag in with them. In other words, there's sexual baggage. All the sexual choices they have made up to the point where they got married, it's packed in that suitcase. There's financial baggage. All the financial debt, all the financial irresponsibility from their past, they're dragging it with them to the altar. All their self-discipline baggage is in this suitcase. It is. All of her daddy issues, anybody want to say amen, don't do it, you'll be in trouble, are in this suitcase. All of his mama issues, he's dragging with him in the suitcase. And they both meet at the front, and nobody realizes they got this baggage running around behind them. And they go through, and they say, I do, and they do everything, and they walk down the aisle, and everybody claps, and, you know, fireworks go off, and it just seems wonderful. And nobody pays attention to the fact that they're both dragging some baggage with them. And then they get into the marriage, and eventually, you know what happens? Somebody opens up this baggage. And now here's what's weird, and if you're not married, listen, this is why married people are so dumb. I'll admit we are, because here's what all married people do. When the baggage eventually gets opened up in the marriage and some of this stinky stuff comes out, you know what I do when my baggage gets opened and everything comes out in the open? I'll tell you what I do. I blame my spouse that's what we do. It's like, oh, 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 it's your fault. And the spouse is going, no, 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 I didn't bring any of this. As a matter of fact, I didn't even know it was in here. And I'm like, that's because I had it all zipped up and it looked nice. But you shouldn't have opened it. You know, we just blame our spouse. Or we blame, well, it was marriage. It was marriage. We should, you know, marriage is a problem. It just wrecked everything. No, 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 it didn't wreck everything. The problem was two people with a lot of baggage thought their past was going to disappear the minute that they said, I do. But when you say, I do, and if you're single, it's so important to know this. One day when you say, I do, It will not be a fresh start with the person that you love. They will bring their baggage in, you will bring yours, and if you assume it's a fresh start, it is going to end up hurting your relationship. Now, that is one assumption. Here's the other assumption. It's this, that when we say I do, love and commitment will see us through. Now, this one's a little counterintuitive, so hang with me because some of you will get mad at me, and that's, that's okay. Just hear me out. Love and commitment are great, but love and commitment are actually not the secret or the key to a great marriage. Now, there's, there's a kind of love that's a genuine, sacrificial, you know, I'm, I'm going to give up myself for you. We're going to talk about that over the course of this series. That's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking the, about the kind of head-spinning, intoxicating, emotional, oh my gosh, I've just fallen in love with this person, and you know, we're just, we're just in love and everything's great. That kind of love, that kind of emotional love and commitment, will never see you through. Now, let, let me make my case for this. Every Saturday night across this country, there are couples who gather at an altar in front of a church, you know, wherever they're doing the deal, and they meet one another, and you know what they do? They, with all sincerity, they mean it with all their hearts, with all sincerity, they exchange vows of love to one another. They make commitments and promises to one another. They give rings to each other to symbolize their never-ending Head over heels, I'm in love with you, kind of love for one another. And then they walk out, 
And they realize after, you know, six months, and maybe that's being generous, or after a year, or however long it takes them, they eventually realize, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We've got some problems in our relationship, but I thought I was in love. I thought I was in love. Now I don't feel like I'm in love, and I, don't figure, I can't figure out what's going on. And, you know, I was committed, and maybe they're not committed. Maybe, maybe you just don't have a love, enough love and commitment for this thing to work. And again, it's because they overestimated the power of love and commitment. The problem is they made some promises at the altar to one another that they simply were not prepared to keep. That's why marriages end up in trouble. Now, let, let me explain this. We'll talk more about this next week, okay? I'm just, but I just want to go ahead and toss this out here for you to chew on a little bit. Here's the thing. Next slide. Saying I do makes you accountable. It does not make you capable. Now, think about this. When you stand one day at the altar and you say I do to the person that you love deeply, suddenly you are accountable to them to keep all the promises that you made, and the promises you make at that altar are some pretty big promises. But just because you are accountable, saying I do in no way makes you capable of keeping those commitments or those promises. And when you are accountable for something you are not capable of doing, it leads to you being miserable. Miserable. Does anybody remember chemistry from high school or college? Okay, You're accountable to put something on a test you were not capable of, and it made you miserable. That works in a relationship. It does. And when you hold him or you hold her accountable for something they are not capable of doing, it makes them miserable, and it makes you miserable, which, which leads to, ding, 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 a miserable marriage. And that's how marriages end up where they do. Because people are accountable for something they are not capable of doing. Now, don't miss this. Again, we'll talk about this more next week. But a promise is never a substitute for preparation. A promise is never a substitute for preparation. When I used to coach basketball, I never cared how much my players promised they were going to win. I didn't care how much my players intended to win. All I cared about was how prepared we were to win. A promise is never a substitute for preparation. You know this in school, you know this at work, you know this in sports, you know this in every other arena, and then we get to relationships and we think, oh, the promise is good enough. No, no, no. A promise is never a substitute for preparation. So the question becomes, how do you become capable? Not just accountable. You can get in a marriage relationship and become accountable. How do you become capable? How do you prepare to have a great marriage? See, there is a secret to a great marriage. There is. But I'm going to tell you, the secret is not the easy things. The secret is not fate. The secret is not, I met my soulmate. The secret is not, oh my gosh, we've just fallen in love and we're so in love and we got all, it's just going to be perfect. The secret's not any of that stuff. The secret is something much more difficult. The secret is something, quite honestly, that is not really very popular. As a matter of fact, it is fairly controversial in our culture today. And when we talk about it today and begin to introduce this idea, you may find yourself going, no, 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 that's, that's not the way. No, that's not, I'm not going there. But I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I have watched and I've had the privilege of sitting on the sidelines and observing so many great marriages. And I'm, the one thing every great marriage I've observed has in common is this simple secret. They all practice this one thing really well. The Apostle Paul talked about it. As a matter of fact, the New Testament, Jesus started and throughout the whole New Testament. It is just hammered again and again and again. It's a secret, honestly, to any great relationship, but especially to any marriage relationship. So if you want to have a great marriage one day, 
This is the thing you've got to figure out. This is the thing you've got to practice and get better at. And unfortunately, in churches, whether it's due to how it's been communicated or whether it's due to just people, Christians, taking it and twisting it, it's gotten distorted. But there is incredible beauty when you understand what Paul teaches us here when it comes to relationships. So I just want to dive in. We're going to talk about it for just a second, and it'll set us up for where we're going to go over the next few weeks. In Ephesians chapter 5, Paul's writing a letter to Christians in Ephesus, and he starts talking about marriage relationships. And here's what he says, starting in verse 21. Submit, he says, to one another out of reverence for Christ. There it is. He says the secret to any great marriage is this right here. It's mutual submission. And we, we all just naturally hate that because none of us like the word submit. And submit, at least in Christian circles, it's just gotten loaded down with so much baggage. And so many, you know, it's been twisted in so many ways. We just kind of, you know, pull away from it. But Paul says, no, you got to understand. This really is the secret to a great relationship. Now, what is mutual submission? Mutual submission is when two people come together and they both practice or demonstrate the same attitude. They both practice or demonstrate the attitude of you first, no you first, no you first. I'm going to put the needs and interests and desires and wishes of you ahead of me. And when two people both do that in a relationship, what you have is mutual submission. But it is not easy. It is not easy because we're all naturally selfish And it is not easy because to mutually submit forces us to expose ourselves in a way, to make ourselves vulnerable in a way, to trust someone in a way that opens us up to be hurt. So if you're sitting there feeling a little bit of that uneasiness or fear, hang with me. We'll talk about that in just a minute. But Paul says, here it is. It's so simple. The secret to a great marriage is when two people mutually submit to one another. When they have developed the kind of character and skill to be able to demonstrate that type of humility, that type of you first, no you first, I'm going to treat you as if you're the most important person in the room, you're the most important person in my world. Paul goes on to explain what this looks like for both husbands and wives. Here's what he says first in verse 22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. And this is the verse that just makes you cringe because, you know, you've heard churches take this and use this in some really twisted ways. But let me tell you what Paul's not saying here, and you'll see this in just a minute. Ladies, let me talk to you for a second. If this makes you uncomfortable, the thing you have to understand is Paul is not communicating for you to do what maybe a preacher at some point or another Christian or, you know, an ex-husband or whoever told you that this meant. He is not saying, hey, you know what? You need to just sit down. You need to just serve your husband, give him whatever he needs whenever he needs it, and you just need to you know, shut your mouth and do whatever he says and stay home, be barefoot and pregnant, and just be happy about it. That's not where he's going with this at all. Notice the disclaimer. Matter of fact, he had it in both statements. In this one, he says, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is going to be hard for you to get, and I understand that. Because Paul uses an example that he knew these Christians in Ephesus would get. He said, ladies, I want you to think about what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. I want you to think about what it is about Jesus that causes you to be willing to follow and trust him. And how it looks for you to submit yourself to him. Now, I want you to take that type of submission. I want you to demonstrate that same submission to your husband. But then he addresses the husbands. And it's so wild to me. I've been to so many weddings where a preacher would get up and he would read this verse and he wouldn't read the rest of this. It's very convenient for the guys, but Paul didn't leave the guys out of this. We've got an equal role because, again, the goal is mutual submission. 
And so here's what Paul tells those of us who are husbands. Verse 25, he says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Now, guys, let me ask you a question. How did Jesus love the church? Well, for starters, he decided to empty himself of all of his power and all of his glory, to turn his back on everything that was rightfully his, and he decided to humble himself and come to earth as a servant. Jesus said, I did not come to be served, I came to serve. Now, if there's one person on the planet who ever deserved to be served by everyone, it would have been Jesus. Yeah, he's the one who said, nope, that's not what I'm here for. You don't need to serve me. I'm here to serve you. I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to empty myself, as Paul said, of my deity or my godhood and my power. And I'm going to become one of you. And I'm going to serve you. And ultimately, I'm going to give myself up for you. I'm going to literally lay my life on the line for you. So Paul said, here's what mutual submission looks like. Ladies, you ought to submit to and follow your husband just like you follow Jesus. And guys, you should love your wife and serve your wife and submit to your wife just like Jesus did for you. Now, we could stop right there and spend a lot of time talking about that because, gentlemen, that's a pretty high standard. And it starts with us. Paul says, you love your wife the way Jesus loved the church. Single guys, Paul's saying to you, you need to reach a point in your maturity where you can love a woman the way Jesus loves that woman. That's when you know, that's when you know that you have developed the ability to submit to her, and she will submit to you as well. And then he sums it all up in verse 33. He comes back to it, and he says, However, each one of you also, talking to the men, must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, this idea of mutual submission, again, it's something that we hear and we go, uh-huh, uh-huh, but then we, you, just, you just don't want to go there. You don't want to go there because to mutually submit to someone means somebody has to go first. Isn't that true? Like in a relationship, if you're a single guy or a single girl and you're thinking about this, you're thinking, well, somebody's got to go first. I want them to go first first. You know, it's like I want them to figure this out and demonstrate this and then I will because to mutually submit and to take the step of, okay, I'm going to treat you this way, it creates a whole lot of anxiety. It creates a whole lot of tension. It, it forces you to look in the mirror and own your selfishness. And most of all, it creates fear. It creates fear. It makes you vulnerable. And none of us like that. So ladies, let me talk to you for just a second. Let me play out this scenario. If you find yourself kind of pushing back on this idea a little bit, here's the thing. Imagine this. Single ladies, imagine that one day you meet a guy who loves you deeply. I mean, he loves you and treats you like you're the most important person in the world. It doesn't matter if you're in private. It doesn't matter if you're in public. He treats you with respect. He treats you with gentleness. He values your opinion. He listens to you. He's willing to make decisions and lead when you need to make decisions and lead, but he's willing to hear your point of view and listen to that and trust you in areas. I mean, this guy, there is, there is massive respect for you. And he treats you like a queen. He treats you like a princess. He treats you, and it doesn't matter what the situation is, he treats you as if he values you above all others. In other words, you meet a guy that every day when you interact with him, you know he's putting your interests, your, your needs, your wishes, your wants, your desires ahead of his. Now, ladies, if you met a guy like that, would you find it difficult 
to respect him enough to turn around and submit to him mutually as well? Would you find it difficult, in other words, if he was putting your needs, interests, and desires above his own to turn around and to do the same for him? The answer to that is no. As a matter of fact, if you're a single lady, you're saying, can you please point that guy out to me because I hadn't found one, right? It's, that, that would be so easy. Like, that would be so natural. Well, Paul says that's exactly how it's supposed to work. But if you are not married, here's what you have to understand. You do not fall into mutual submission. Now, don't miss this. You do not fall into mutual submission. You do not fall into, hey, I fell into love, and now I fell into submitting. I fell into love, and now I fell into serving. I fell into love, and now I fell into putting his interest or her interest before my own. That doesn't just happen naturally. If you are a single adult, you have to figure out how to prepare and develop that skill and that kind of character in you now so you have the ability to do that when you enter into a relationship one day. Because, again, you don't magically get that when you say, I do. And all the stuff from your past that maybe can create issues and conflicts and is contradictory to that kind of attitude, it doesn't disappear the minute you say, I do. The present, what you're doing today, yeah, it's going to become your past, but I'm telling you it's going to show up in your future. And it will sabotage or derail your ability to mutually submit in your relationship one day if you don't deal with it now and if you don't develop this skill now. But if you will, here's the payoff, if you will. You will experience a kind of love and a depth of love that very few people experience. You'll experience a kind of love and depth of love that only people who mutually submit to one another experience because mutual submission requires trust. And trust enables you to love deeply. When you trust and mutually submit to one another, there is no fear in love. There is no fear of, well, if I do this, what if he takes advantage of me? If I do this, what if she takes advantage? If I do this, what if it's a one-way street? When you find two people who can love and submit to one another like that, there is no fear because the trust is so deep. So if you are not married, you have to figure out, you have to ask yourself, if you have the kind of character that enables you to practice that. You need to start practicing mutual submission now in the relationships that you have, in the friendships that you have, in the situations of which you're a part. So you will be ready to do it one day when you say, I do. Now, if you push back on that and you're thinking, there's no way, I'm not about to do that. Let me just ask you this. What's your alternative? What's your alternative? The only alternative to a marriage built on mutual submission is a marriage that is not. The only alternative to a marriage built on I'm going to trust and love you that way is a marriage where you say, nope, I'm going to hold back and I'm going to be reserved and I'm going to build up walls and I'm going to guard my vulnerability and I'm going to guard my heart. And I'm not going to give all of me to all of you because I'm afraid somebody's got to go first. And if I go first, maybe you won't submit back. And then so I'm just going to I'll get hurt. So I'm going to let fear define my relationship. Those are really the only two options you have in a marriage relationship. One built on mutual trust and submission, or one built on fear. And here's the thing if you choose this. Fear undermines the very intimacy you want to have in your relationship. Fear undermines the very intimacy you dream of having. Fear undermines the very intimacy that you imagine you're going to have when you stand at an altar 
And you exchange vows, you make promises, you give rings, and you say, I do. So, over the next couple of weeks, here's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into how to practice this. Because if you are not married, this is the thing, you, if you learn this now, you'll be so far ahead of all of us married people. You can start developing some skills right now and some character right now that's going to have you ready to mutually submit to the person that you fall in love with and marry one day. You can begin preparing now. You can begin practicing now. And over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to give you some really practical stuff on how to practice so that you don't show up in your marriage relationship, number one, with a ton of baggage that you didn't realize you carried with you. But instead, you show up with a character that is so strong, you can build a marriage relationship, a stay-in-love, happy-together-forever kind of marriage relationship, which is what you ultimately want. So next week, we're going to talk about that. And next week, we're going to talk about the list. You know, you know what I mean by the list. Like all of us, even you married people before you got married, you had a list, right? A list of, okay, here's what I'm looking for in somebody. Well, we're going to talk about that because there's some things, I'm sure you got a great list, but there's some things that you need to make sure are part of your list. Because if you marry someone and you are ready to mutually submit and you have the character to do that, but they don't, you're going to end up in trouble. So you need to figure out what you're looking for to make sure two people come into your relationship and they both can submit. Because, again, remember, saying I do makes you accountable, but it does not make you capable. Saying I do will make your future spouse accountable. It does not mean they're capable. I'll show you how to figure out whether they're going to be capable. This week, I just want to leave you with a question. And it's a question, no matter what stage of life you're in, you ought to spend some time asking yourself. It's simply this. Am I prepared to keep my promise? Am I prepared to keep my promise? In other words, if I look at my past behavior, does it indicate that my spouse or my future spouse can trust me to be who I need to be in this relationship? When I look at the choices I'm making right now, are they choices that demonstrate, yep, I'm prepared, yeah, my character's deep enough, yeah, my trust is good, strong enough, I can, I can submit. I can serve you sacrificially. I can love you deeply. I can honor you humbly. Does your past, does your present behavior show that you have prepared to be able to do that? Or does it indicate that there are some cracks and some issues in your character? Listen, this is a question that deserves some really gut-level honesty from you. It won't be easy, but you need to be honest with yourself. You don't have to tell anybody else, but you need to be honest with yourself about it. And then come back next week. We'll talk about how to prepare and how to practice. Now, if you want to share this with a friend or you want to grab some discussion questions and talk about with friends, you can go to lovesexdatingseries.com. I know that's kind of long. I suggested lsdseries.com, but I got shot down for all of you who grew up in the 70s. So, so we went with lovesexdatingseries.com. You can go right there. You can find the messages. You can find everything that you need. But remember, when you say I do, when we say I do, one day when you say with your spouse I do, it does not mean you get a fresh start. It does not mean love and commitment's all you need and it'll see you through. The secret to a great marriage is mutual submission. So figure out how to prepare now to be able to practice that later. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you 
for demonstrating for us what mutual submission looked like when you sent your son to die, to rise again for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to serve and not to be served. It is so hard for us to do this. Help us to have the courage to look in the mirror and to own the issues in the areas of our life where we're not living up to this. And then to do the hard work of preparing and practicing and developing character to be able to mutually submit. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.